Welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is episode four of the Live Courageous podcast show of 2024 and the 63rd episode since I started the show about two plus years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and has been an unconscious theme for most of my life. Uh, courage is resistance to fear, master, mastery of fear, but not the absence of fear. Um, today is a very special show with a guest and brother who takes courage to another level and is driven by his faith in Jesus. So today, let's meet uh, today's courageous uh, guest, Pastor Rudy Gonzalez. Rudy served in the U.S. Marine Corps and Force Recon as part of a special operations team in uh, reconnaissance missions. Leaving the military, Rudy became a police officer. He got married to his high school sweetheart, Lori, and he got called to the ministry. Pastor Rudy started CERT Ministries in 2012, and CERT stands for Search, Evangelize, Rescue, and Train. Rudy's mission and ministry took him to Africa with Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse during the Ebola crisis. A few years ago, Rudy and his family formed the Slave Free Project to complement CERT Ministries as a way to give a larger group of people a chance to get in the fight against human trafficking. When people hear the term human trafficking, they often think of an overseas faraway problem but the truth is, it's not just a problem somewhere else. Human trafficking occurs every day right in our community, our neighborhoods, our churches, and our blind spots. Pastor Rudy and his family has also been involved in the fight in the Ukraine, having made over dozens of trips there with their team. And CERT and the Slave Free Project is a very unique organization in so many ways. First, no one gets paid. They donate their time and risk their lives as part of their mission and service to save enslaved youth from traffickers and they've rescued hundreds of young women from sex trafficking over the years. They're also unique in that they put Jesus first in their lives and in their work. I was introduced to Pastor Rudy and his family a few years ago by a mutual friend, Jason Cisneros, who is one of the operators, and I was blown away by their purpose, their faith, and their courage. And I can say I am truly honored and blessed to know them and to have Rudy on the show today. So with that, let's uh, greet uh, Rudy. Uh, hey, welcome, brother. Welcome to Live Courageously. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Are you good there? Yep. Had a little bit of a hiccup. You know what? I'm oh. sure that the devil's going to try to do something to stop this show because it's been a long time coming for sure. Well, it has been a long time coming. Um, we've been wanting to do it for a long time, but this, you know, is definitely one of the most busiest human beings I know. Um, but it's not like most people who do busy work. This is all great work that you're doing. So thank you for taking the time. Um, but, you know, share a little bit. I just kind of gave a quick introduction to you. I mean, you you started out, you know, after high school, you became a Marine, a recon um, Marine, and you, you were in the Marine Corps for a while, which kind of is part of who you are, your identity to today. So share a little bit about that and take us through your life story. Yeah, you know, um, coming out of high school, I... Uh... I knew that there was no way I was going to go to college and had no other plan in sight and knew I wanted to go off and do something. I was, you know, in this college prep type high school. So everybody had these great, you know, going to Cal Berkeley or Stanford or even Harvard. And um, I knew that that wasn't my path. So I ended up joining the Marine Corps and once in the Marine Corps, I ended up becoming a reconnaissance Marine, which it was like a fish to water. I, I really loved that job. It was like nothing that I could ever see myself doing other than that. And, uh, you know, after my time in the Marine Corps, I spent some time 
um, going to several different countries and doing some pretty interesting things, but took part in Desert Storm. And after Desert Storm, I was being recruited by the um, Drug Enforcement Agency. And so I separated from the Marine Corps, came home, and like you said, kind of in the intro, met my high school sweetheart, looked into her eyes and knew that my life was never going to be the same. So my, my life changed for sure. But that's, that's a picture a, of you and her. And it's, it's such a great picture. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a great picture. That was uh, especially with hope in the background because it's kind of our, our story for sure. But yeah, that's a little bit of the beginning. Well, you, you know, like you said, you did so many things. You came out, you went, you, you became a police officer. You went to Africa as well. And, um, you were also involved in doing stuff during the Ebola crisis. And, you know, the show talks about courage. And I think your life has been exemplifies courage in every different area, whether it was in the Marine Corps, whether going into the middle of something like the Ebola crisis. And then what you do and your family does today, it's just it's just like courage is like there's a big sign all behind you that says courage times 100. But, you know, tell well, us a little bit about some of that stuff. I think, you know, the interesting thing about that is, um, you know, my, my story and my testimony really has to do with, uh, you know, being fearful. You know, the, the thing is, sometimes the most courageous people that we see in our life, you know, that do things in the flesh are some of the biggest cowards we'd ever meet. And for me, before Christ, that was me. I was uh, I was taking on the world in a way that the Marine Corps had taught me, kind of like, you know, um, conquering things with superior firepower. <laughs> I think that's one of the, the interesting things. Becoming a cop, I, you know, I, I gravitated towards that because, you know, I, I obviously I didn't go into the DEA. I became a police officer instead because I had met my wife. And this thing of, you know, what am I going to do now? I wasn't a Christian then. You know, I thought I was. I thought I was a Christian um, because I went to church. I went to, you know, Catholic service or whatever. But really, I was building the kingdom of Rudy, and that was because I was fearful and afraid of everything else. And so I was living a life of fear, and through that, I ended up, you know, through violence or through making money or becoming an executive or all those things, kind of stacking up this wall around me to protect my family because I was afraid of what was going to happen. And you know, one day my wife took me to church and I had this moment of knowing that everything that I was doing was so tiny compared to who God was because I matched myself up against God. I thought if there's a God that really loved us, then how could he let bad things happen? And for me, this moment changed everything. And now all the things that people see are courageous where it's it's it really is just serving god and knowing you know the funny thing about it is you can't kill a dead man <laughs> what i ended up doing is i ended up dying to myself and being risen in christ and now i mean who can we fear like there's there's nothing against that so i don't know i'm rambling a little bit john you got to <laughs> well, circle me on that's all right. Well, just to, to kind of pin you back in, because you meant, I remember you telling me the story, which was so powerful, was when you went to church and you, and that pastor came and started talking about the sex trafficking of youth and what uh, of children 
um, and what happened and what voice you heard. And you told that story to me. I mean, chills go up just even remembering the story with the way you told it to me. So if you could just share that story, I'd have, that would sure. be great. Yeah, there was um, there was this time in my life and, and everything was, you know, in retrospect, going really well, um, as the world would see it. We had a beautiful house. We had beautiful kids. Um, we had everything that anybody would ever want living in a beautiful part of America. And, you know, if you would have asked me, are, are you going to ever travel around the world? I would tell you no, because I've already done that. I don't want anything to do with the outside world. I just want this in front of me. And um, but my wife knew there was something different. And really, if I would have gone back and looked at this perfect Rudy, I was dying inside hmm. um, because, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with why cops and veterans end up committing suicide because they're, they have everything, but they're fearful. They're lacking. They're all this. So she was praying for me as she was going through this book. Um, and I don't even know the name of the author or anything about it, but it was like the power of a praying wife. And the big part about it was it wasn't like this specific prayer. It was just a fact that my wife was praying for her husband to know God. And she took me to church. And um, the funny thing it was, is it wasn't any words that a pastor spoke. It wasn't really the, the moment of the video. It was this, this video that was being showed because the pastor was going to preach the next week. And in the video, he started talking about these three and four year olds being sold into prostitution. And I cursed God that day. And I said, see, this is why I don't serve you. How could you let this happen? Three and four year olds being, mm. you know, brutalized by people for their own pleasure. And, and it was, it was interesting because God threw it right back at me. It was the first time I heard the audible voice of the Lord. And he said, no, Rudy, how could you let this happen? You're my hands. You're my feet. Serve me. And I was shook to my bones. It was this moment of, of who I thought I was like this big, you know, Billy badass walking in. And I became so small, like I was tiny compared to the living God who is the creator of the heaven and the earth. And it put everything into perspective because we, John, as humans are answer to the world's problems and to sin in this world. And because Jesus died for us, he gives us the ability now through him to go out into all the world and give the answer to all these problems that everyone has. And it was, it was pretty amazing. Well, you know, it, and, and like you said, it is in that moment and it, it blows my mind. I, every time I think about that story, it just blows my mind how that moment changed your life, but it changed your family's life, but it changed, you know, it's that ripple effect. It changed other people because you became the hands and feet you chose to hear that voice and then to step up and to go down that path to, to be the difference, to be the person that, that, that could be the light for others. And um, it's great. And you, didn't, you didn't have to do that. You could have walked no. away from it. Right. Oh, I absolutely could. I could have continued to curse God, but the interesting I, about, thing about it is all of the scriptures start to come together for you. You know, like there's so many of us that say, Oh, I've read the Bible. It just doesn't apply to me. Right. And it's funny because the Bible is like it's it's 66 love letters to you. It's personalized to each and every person. It's one of the greatest mysteries and the greatest bestsellers of all time, because with all of those scriptures, like you said, it only it not only affected me, but it affected my family, because 
everything came together because that scripture, as for me and my house, will serve the Lord. You know, it says, choose this day who you'll serve. And that day I chose, but not only that, I became a father and a leader and a spiritual leader in my marriage, which then begot to my children, which then broke generational curses. And it was absolutely incredible because it became more than just, providing for my family so my son could be on the traveling basketball team or having them live in the best school districts. Like we started to go into the highways and byways and started preaching the gospel and feeding the hungry. And my children got it because they saw the change in me, which was, was which was amazing. Well, I know I, I had a chance to have your daughter on before you a few, a month or two ago and interview her, uh, Madeline, and uh, who's the uh, chief operating officer for your uh, ministry. And she shared that. She shared some of the stories when she was a little kid, when you were feeding the homeless, when you were out in Skid Row, or I know you also uh, went to Tijuana and you went to other places and you just went out there. And, you know, you. I think you remember, I remember you saying something, and I think I may have a quote about it, about, you know, the church, where the church was. Um, and that's kind of what you, you did. You took the church out of the church into the streets. And tell yeah. us a little bit about that and what started that before even CERT Ministries started on that mission. Yeah. And that was one of those things is when God spoke to me that day and I decided to, to change everything and follow him. You know, it says to, to sell everything, to give everything away and follow him. And we did just that. And what happened was this change in my, my life. Again, had a change in my in my wife's life and then my kids' life, but then the community started to see that because it was like this. It was it was a ripple effect of a revival that happened in me that started. Other people started to see, and you know there are so many people. There might be somebody that's watching your show or going to watch it that's going to sit there and they're going to say, you know, I'm tired of the status quo of what's happening at church, and they want to see change in their life and other people's life. And for us, we started to just simple, just feed the hungry. You know, we you can you can go anywhere in the richest parts of our country and see somebody that's hungry, right? It, it's simple. It's like it just started with simple conversations, with sitting down with somebody and hearing their story and sharing my story with them. That's that's all evangelism is 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 sharing what Jesus has done in my life and. Other people wanted a part of that, but more importantly, like, and, and having Maddie on your show is great because she was instrumental. All of my children were instrumental, but specifically Maddie, because when I started old life, it's, she was one of those, those in my life, even at, at 10 years old that held me accountable. You know, when she saw this, she saw us, you know, going out and starting to feed the hungry. She would come home from school, beat me home from work. And he would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And you know how like you get you're tired from a long day and you're doing, you know, board meetings and sales meetings and whatever. You know, I was in corporate America at the time. And uh, she was like, well, daddy, it's time to go feed the hungry. And I'm like, oh, not tonight, baby. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> and she's like, they're hungry whether you're tired or not. So let's get it done. <laughs> and uh, there was a specific time we went out and we were feeding the hungry. And it was this this whole homeless guy that I built a relationship with. His name was Admiral. His nickname was Admiral because he was a Navy veteran. And uh, we got done feeding him and praying for him. And 
we're walking up to the street because he lived down in this creek. And um, she said, Dad, are there hungry kids? I said, yeah, baby, there is. There are. And she just looked at me with these big brown eyes and she said, why aren't we feeding them? And, you know, I came up with every excuse. Well, you know, dad doesn't have enough money to feed all the hungry kids and there's not enough time. And there's just so many. The, the problem is so big that I don't have the answer to it. And she just was quiet. She didn't say anything else. So we go home and I'm, you know, doing whatever the busy work of the day. And I go in, I hear this rustling in the kitchen. And she took all of our food out of our cupboards and put them back into the grocery bags. You know, you save all the grocery bags underneath the sink. Back then it was the, the, the paper bags. She had 18 paper bags filled with all the food that we had in our cupboard. And she's like, we have plenty of food. Let's go feed hungry kids. And what am I supposed to say to that? Other than, <laughs> okay. <laughs> she had our cupboards. The things that I had stored up to go out and feed and, you know, being a cop in our community, I knew where they were. So called some friends. Cause I didn't want to, you know, 18 bags, my daughter by herself said, Hey, Maddie's got this idea. Let's go into this neighborhood. And those 18 bags that we pulled out of our cupboard turned into 7,800 pounds of food a week in a few wow. months. Wow. So yeah, just, it turned into this and people wanted to see, you know, wanted to be involved in this. And, you know, even more so, it was funny because we got visits from city council members. And um, it was funny because the crime rate in that impoverished neighborhood went down and they didn't know why. Wow. And it was just because we were feeding hungry. Really? You know, it, 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 it's kind of a strange echo, but I, I met this professional basketball player. He was 26 years old, uh, John, uh, Jonathan Isaac. I met him a couple of weeks ago and I just read his book, uh, Why I Stand. And it's an incredible book. But in it, he mentions the moment where he really changed his life was when he went out and fed people. And that's when his life changed to everything he is today. And you just read the book and it's just you're blown away by this. 20. He grew up in the South Bronx like myself, but yeah. his life changed when he went into service. And then the service just kept growing and his purpose and mission kept growing. Um, and it's like what you're saying with your daughter, you know, I, I don't have people who don't ever get the blessing or don't ever make the choice to serve, uh, don't realize what they're missing by not serving others. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, but the fact that your daughter was, and she still is that person, uh, on, a, on yeah. so many other levels today, right. In, in making sure that everybody does what they need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, definitely a proud father, man, to have a, a, an amazing daughter like her. Oh, of course. So tell us a little, CERT Ministries. I mean, you, you know, you started that, I believe it was 2012. I may be wrong in the date or, or not. But um, and then this is the uh, vision, the uh, uh, mission of it I have up on the screen to rescue people who are missing or held against their will. And that just tells a little bit about it. Um, and then this the other thing. And uh, we talked about what that was, search, evangelize, rescue and train. Tell us a little bit about um, why you set that up and how that started to grow from that moment and then take us on that journey. Well, you started to talk a little bit about it. You know, when we started to feed hungry people and, you know, we started having Bible study in our home, which turned into worship services that would last for days, you know, pretty much a church came out of nowhere. And um, it was, you know, the body of Christ fitly joined together, providing the needs of one another. 
and everyone started to call me pastor and this pastoral calling that was on my life i would push it away oh i'm not a pastor i'm just an evangelist you know i'm just you know i didn't want the responsibility that came with managing a flock and pretty soon i couldn't i couldn't get away from it and so becoming a pastor was something i wasn't going to be able to 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 run away from anymore i couldn't do that jonah thing because i was going to get swallowed up by a whale and you know i i prayed i was like okay because i had all of these other pastors in our community that were like hey you're operating without a license and you have to have a building and you have to you know you have to have sunday services and you know all of these things and really because they were fearful you know i i started getting labeled a sheep stealer because mm. people from the congregations wanted to go out and see what god was doing and so I prayed about it and we tried, we tried the regular status quo. We tried to have a, a church building. We tried to do all these things. And I came to a day where I was praying. I was like, well, Lord, what kind of church would you have me have? And he said, go where the church isn't. That's when he spoke to me. And, and I remember right then when he said, go where the church isn't, we have the, we had this road that, that had a Costco on it. And that's where the prostituted women would walk up and down the road. Now, they weren't a lot. There were maybe one or two, but there were a few that would show up here and there. And I remember one day driving down that road and seeing this soccer mom in this, you know, super expensive suburban laying in on her horn so that this girl would get out of the way so she could pull into the Costco to go get her food. And I remember the shattered look in this young girl who was being prostituted's eyes. I thought, that's where the church is. You know, because this woman that was driving the Suburban probably went to church. You know, like we were in a in an area that was very highly church, you know. And it just shattered me because I thought, you know, where is the church for her? And so... I knew where the girls were being advertised online. So I got our, our ladies together and I had them calling the women that were being advertised online and, and telling them that they love them. And the guys were there praying for the women. And when, you know, inevitably when you preach the gospel and you tell somebody that there's hope, they're going to want to meet. And so the guys would provide security for that. And it just developed into this being able to search online and, and have a unique ability that nobody else had. And then law enforcement and missing people or parents of missing people would start to reach out to us because we knew how to search these online forums and places because at the time you could get a 12 year old girl to your house faster than you could a, a pizza and you still can't it's just in a different way but so this this ministry this church started to rise up because we would have church services church services were in the ghetto going after somebody's daughter church services began going into central american country where seven-year-olds were being sold and traded you know church services began being you know in the tenderloin in san francisco or in the dumps of mexico or anywhere else so sort kind of arose out of that because it you know everybody god is is definitely in a name he loves your name like have you ever researched what your name means uh, a couple of different times, I forget. I, I researched what it meant. I the Irish version of it, and yeah. then also that they gave me a Chinese version at one point. It meant flying high, which was kind of interesting. But yeah, I don't remember all of the research on it. Yeah, yeah. And so church. I mean, it was important to have a name. So you know, just praying about it, we came up with 
Well, you know, he says to search, to leave the 99 and go after the one, search, evangelize, which is very important when we're searching for somebody, the lost, we got to give them the good news. And then rescue, you know, that's kind of one I still battle with because people think we do the rescuing because it's in our name because we're searching and we're evangelizing. So they think we're doing the rescuing when it's really Jesus that's doing that. Um, and, and then train because, you know, discipleship is important. So training people there. And then it was neat because he says that he'll give us the desires of our heart, which turned into, you know, for a while I was preaching to all these, you know, pedophiles, perverted men, and it was wearing me down. And my daughters prayed for me, Maddie and Cece prayed, God, send send my dad recon Marines, because that's, you know, the, the, where I come out of and my heart's for them. And so the ministry took twofold. It was not only going out for the lost, but it was taking these guys that were coming back from combat and showing them that they have a purpose in all the things that they had gone through, that God could use that to go out and rescue and and see people's lives changed. And it, it became something really cool. So search, evangelize, rescue, and train that turned into yeah ministering to those guys that you have up on the screen and seeing God do a change in their life, which you got to see when you came out for the Indoc. You got to see some of those guys who came out and thought, hey, I have something to offer to this ministry and then end up getting baptized and their lives being forever changed, which is great. Well, absolutely. I mean, and, and one of the things that you do, obviously, and I was out there for the op, uh, training. Uh, that's the picture from um, uh, that day. And then you obviously train them in all kinds of uh, being able to, you know, both physically and militarily be able to do it. And this, these are just some pictures from you uh, on doing all that from the training ops. But like you said, um, you know, it ends up here. And yeah. that, that's where it ends up. And people have get baptized and people's lives change. And that's kind of what, you know, so you see all these tough guys, like you said, and they're going through this car, very difficult trainings. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're finding their strengths and they're, they're, they're finding what their purpose and mission is again. And then you take them to the, to that level at the end, it ends up on the beach and it ends up with baptism and it ends up with prayers for them. And it, it's just, I would just say that weekend was one of the most powerful experiences I've experienced and, and just being there, you know, with a camera, as opposed to going through it, but uh, it's just amazing what you do with them. Yeah, God is good. And you ended up getting baptized one when we were yes. in South Carolina, right? Yes, at Jason's uh, wedding. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did not plan it. Um, did not. It just was one of those things. It just, it, it was the moment. It was right. And I felt like I was, uh, and you were there doing it. And I was like, yes, I need to do this. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, God is so good. It's, it's neat to see how simplistic the gospel becomes in, you know, a convoluted world. And it really is. It's, you know, the, I love scripture because it puts everything into perspective and kind of grounds us. And, you know, it says that the devil will be defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we'll love not our lives into our own and seeing other people have a life change begets other people wanting to have a life change to all of those things. So yeah, God is good. We'll share a little bit because some people, you know, I got a chance, we got a chance to see it up close, the amount of training that goes into this. And you've been doing it for close to 20 years, obviously. And you you built uh, this group of special operators who come together and they're a special group. And, you know, I talked about in the opening, they don't get paid. 
They volunteer their time. They risk their lives just like you and your family does. And it's all about their belief and their purpose and mission. But tell us a little bit about, for people who may not know what that looks like, why is there training? What happens when you go out there? How how prevalent is uh, human trafficking? Uh, some of us know how prevalent it is, and, and a lot of people don't. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I get a request all the time. Will you train me how to rescue kids, right? Will you, and there's a lot of other groups that do that. They make it seem mm -hmm. like it's something you can go to a weekend course and get out there and start rescuing kids on your own. But the difficult part about all of this is, is somebody, you know, it's different than your average evangelism. It's you're different than your average ministry where you're going to feed people or um, going to, you know, visit them in prison or any of those type of things, because you're you're going into a very high crime area, some of the, the most dangerous places on the planet and taking somebody's commodity, somebody's money earner away from them. And, you know, it's uh, so it can be it can be very dangerous. And the thing about that is. It, it, and I tell people, you know, because they say, well, you train me. And I tell them, you know, it's like watching a movie or going through an experience where you see somebody with brain cancer. Right. And you watch and you hear how they go through this battle. But there's a doctor that helps heal them. Right. And then so you're like, I want I want to cure people of brain cancer. <laughs> so you find a brain surgeon and you're like, hey, can you train me to do what you do? <laughs> he's like, well, um, you know, you're, 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 I could try. I mean, you're going to make, you know, you're going to use a bone saw to make an incision on the scalp and the, the, you know, the skull. And then you got to go in and you, you know, like, <laughs> can you imagine? And, and it doesn't mean that you don't have any less compassion for the plight of somebody that has brain cancer, but, and I'm not saying that we're brain surgeons, but you know, a lot of us, like that group that you had a picture of, there's hundreds of years of military experience from guys that have been all around the world fighting terrorists and now have decided to take that fight to trafficking. It's, it's a different different thing, you know? Like, we couldn't do, and there you go, that's a great picture of my daughter there, um, Cece. And that's, you know, that's a skill set in its own. Like, that picture that you have right there of her. And it's funny because people will say, okay, well, your daughters do it. That picture, I remember that day. It's great. She's hitting a target at 958 meters, 958 meters with a 23 mile an hour crosswind. And she's hitting a target this big. Like the only reason she gets to do it is because she's lived her whole entire life with me. And everything that I've had and been trained in, I've passed on to my children. But, you know, coming out and being what I'm doing is I'm refocusing these guys into the world of trafficking. So it's almost like, um, you know, getting them into a calling that they've had all their life, but using their skill set that they brought with them and refocusing it into to what's happening there. So it's, it's an interesting thing in this training um, format and and what we do to to fight trafficking in a different way. No, it absolutely is. And before I go a little bit forward with that, I want to say I remember the first night I met you and your two daughters at the restaurant. Jason introduced us, and I met you two, and I heard your story. And I, 
but I was mostly blown away by their them than you, quite frankly, because these they were so sweet young women, but they had all these skills, and you know that they could take anybody out, and they were so tough, and they were risking their lives, and yet they had so much love and compassion and belief in Jesus and, and what they were doing. I, I just walked away from that like I was just like, who are these people? I mean, honestly, I just was like, who are they? And you, you know, that's what you put in them, all those layers. Um, but you're right. It, you know, it takes that military training. It takes that physical training, all those people to do the operating side. And then, of course, you have some special things, which I have to put up, which is this uh, picture uh, with the cross in the background. And then, of course, this one, which is someone's going to get duped, which, you know, the other side is, you, you know, you have animals that you train who are your, you know, um, work with you in the field as well. So that's another part of these missions that are so important. Yep. And your animals are so special. Yeah, our dogs. Not, I mean, I'll start with our dogs. Of course, if you if you were ever to be at the ranch, we got a whole slew of animals. I think Maddie is going to pick up ten cats today, which is really funny. And we're not using the cats for the ministry, other than keeping the rodent population down. But um, yeah, our dogs are are tremendously special. They they are um, a, a great asset to our team. Um, Boot, who the the first picture that you had, he was the first canine that we got, and you know, he trained me. He was our segue into um, utilizing a canine to fight trafficking. And I started by training him in protection work and just kind of keeping ourselves, our team safe. And he ended up, oh, you know, becoming, um, having a really good nose to where we were able to teach him how to do gun detection. So when we were out in the street searching for somebody's daughter, he could tell me whether or not somebody had a gun and he um, really saved our team's lives on several different occasions. And he be, he's become a, a, an amazing partner of mine. He recently um, retired and we got zombie. I don't think you have, you may not have a picture of zombie, but zombie no, is his replacement and is his replacement. And zombie is, she's an incredible girl. She, she is strictly in protection work. And um, she either loves you or she hates you. <laughs> There's very few people she gets along with. She loves her handler, which is me. And we have a great relationship and she's done some good work. But then the last picture that you had, Duke. Duke is, um, he's a special boy. He, um, we raised money for Duke. He's one of the only ones that we've, we've purchased, trained. He has a specific skill set of being able to detect and track um, Russian explosives. Um, and so he's trained in protection and Russian explosive detection. Now we've cross-trained him into regular explosives. Um, and who knows when we're going to be able to or need to use that. But he's been deployed to Ukraine successfully and um, done some amazing work and done quite a few operations here in protection work for our team stateside which he and the team loves him and he's he's a good boy this is just a picture of you and maddie you know uh, doing some of behind the scenes work obviously um yeah. for a rescue um let me just pivot a, a second because the other thing that you set up was because the obviously cert involves operators people who have military backgrounds who have the the skill sets the training set the mindset they're they're trainable they're you know able to do what is necessary but beyond that, you set up the Slave Free Project, 
to get other people in the fight to be able to help in other ways to support the rescue missions. So just, you know, to do along uh, uh, something on that, I just wanted you to, you know, speak a little bit. Uh, this is the Slave Free Project, and this is from an event and a rally that I attended in Utah where you were speaking um, uh, a couple of years, few years ago now. But talk a little bit about what the Slave Free Project is, and this is kind of what you're doing, pivoting, you know, average civilians who want to get in the fight in whatever way they can to support yeah. this uh, mission. Yeah, and that's the thing that I found is, um, you know, there's so many people that are focused on rescuing the kids, which takes, again, a specific skill set to be able to do that. Um, but everyone can fight trafficking. Like, it should be everyone's fight. There should not be a child being sold without somebody having a way to be able to fight that. And of course, you know, money is always there and, and we don't want to, we don't need to talk too much about giving or, or resources because sometimes that's, that's the greatest blessing and, and sometimes the biggest cop out, right? Somebody writes a check so they don't have to do the work or somebody wants to do the work because they want to write a check. But the cool part about the Slave Free Project is learning how to fight trafficking in your lane. Whether you're a movie producer like yourself or a, you know, somebody that's a real estate agent or a truck driver or, you know, in the food service industry or anything like that, we can train people how to recognize, respond and report to a trafficking victim because we've all come across somebody. And we may have the reason saying, you know, I just didn't know, but we've rescued people that go to church, go to church. You know, and, you know, one of the one of the craziest situations where we had re rescued somebody is they had gone to church and she was an MMA fighter. So it's not like she couldn't protect herself physically, but there's so many bondage ways that traffickers use bondage. It could be a chemical restraint. It could be an emotional restraint. It could be all these different things. And she was being brutalized and sold by this person. And she went to somebody in the church. It was a really large church in their women's program and said, Hey, this person's selling me and I need help. And their response was, you know what? It's probably better. You go to a different church because we don't want to have any of our children taken or hurt or anything here. And I thought, you know what it is. And we talk about this podcast living courageously that person that responded to this young girl, they responded out of fear, out of fear Correct. because somebody was. We just paused for a minute. Um, uh, they, they responded out of fear. And on that note, uh, Rudy's uh, signal just paused. So um while, while we're waiting for the signal to just re-break back. There we are, we're back again. So we paused on on that note of fear. And then the, yeah. the, I think you scared the, the camera because it went into pause. But. <laughs> but it is, it was like, you know, this woman in this church had been caught up in fear to where she thought that, you know. Oh, we're gonna get a couple of these right now. Um, yeah. It's like a tsunami wave. It's a, it's a touchy subject. And you know what? We just rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus to trying to cause any trouble with anything that's going on here because this is an important message. But the woman had been caught up in fear to where this situation was coming in and attacking her safety bubble. And I thought, 
you know, we need to train people in the church. We need to train people how to have compassion, not necessarily, you know, get up and fight the bad guy, but to have compassion for that person that's right in front of them. You know, there's, there's no reason that we can't talk to somebody that's in front of us, you know, and trafficking happens on so many different levels. Like we're so caught up in these weird definitions, you know, of what a trafficking victim is. Like we're not even thinking of that trafficking victim in a high school, you know, a, a, a college prep high school, right? An expensive high school in a nice part of town. That is this person, this young boy or girl is being trafficked because somebody got a new picture of them and is holding them, holding that against them and making them do all these sexual favors for these different people or they're going to exploit it. They're a trafficking victim. Yes. Right. We may think, no, 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 no. It's, you know, children being kept in a container being shipped into Long Beach port or, or something else. But, you know, that's why we changed our, our mission statement into, you know, somebody that, that is being held against their will. We can be held in so many different ways. Right. And so, the Slave Free Project was really important to build, to get people in our community to be able to respond to different types of situations. And how can we expand on that and really get our mindset into what's going on and um, getting into the fight and not having to be a special operator? Well, you know, and like you said, it, it, it's so many layers and so much. And I know you're going out, you're going out to... Uh, nurses in hospitals to help them learn how to recognize it, teachers. There's so many groups of people who are engaged with, with young people and knowing how to recognize that kind of behavior. And like you said, not the extreme being shipped in a, in, in a, a ship, but just the ongoing kind of stuff that's done in our communities, in our schools, in our, uh, our world, you know, yeah. and, and being able to recognize that and know how to report it, know how to support the people who are going through it all those layers. And that's kind of what you're doing with the Slave Free Project. So it's another way for people to, uh, and then there's other ways. People can come out and work on the ranch. People can do all kinds of stuff of support. And that's what the Slave Free Project is the way to kind of take uh, volunteers who are uh, civilians who want to get involved in helping. Is that correct? Yeah. That's correct. And, and you know, we even do that with new operators. It's a, it's a really good way to come out and see what we're doing, to get to know our heart to see where the money's being spent. You know, there's so many different organizations that will open up their books to you, but. Well, um, thing is coming out and, and looking and seeing for yourself exactly what's happening, you know, um, which is important. And before I pivot to, you know, where I want to kind of get, spend some time as, as we move into the, uh, towards the end of the show, I want to just say what's unique about you. There's so many things unique about you, uh, Pastor Rudy. But, you know, when you think of a pastor, I don't think of a guy who, who does something like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and I love it because, you know, it's like it's all those layers of you, just like you with your message of stay dangerous. You don't say be safe. You know, you're, you, you, you bring all the pieces of the uh, – Force Recon Marine, all your background and your your courage, but you're, you're somebody who, yes, you pray over people, you'll try to change their life, you'll try and bring Jesus to them, but
but you're not afraid of punching them in the throat if you have to, right? That's not right. a problem. Hey, I mean, you know, I had a really good example of a teacher of Jesus. You know, there's so many people that forget Jesus as as much as he came as a lamb. I mean, he fashioned that. I love the scripture. If you get into the scripture and you look, he fashioned a whip. He didn't go buy one in a store. He's like, I'm going to make my own and went into the temple courts and started flipping over tables and lashing people with that whip. Like he was hitting people. Jesus was hitting people. And, you know, for me, it's like we, you know, in my Bible, and that's the thing is I love scriptures. It says when the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. And one of the big things of our ministry is taking this idea of what, you know, being a Christian man is all about. And we're almost sacrificing our children for using this idea that we are going to not step in the way of a bad guy, right? We're not going to physically get involved because it's too dangerous. It'll cost too much. It'll be whatever. And again, it's fear. It's an excuse for fear. That's why, you know, like I think today, one of the biggest reasons that we try to have pacifists in our government is because um, they're too afraid. Like, I think we would, it would be better if your initiation into Congress would be that you have to get punched right in the face. <laughs> uh, every freshman congressman i i think you you could get a lot of support for that program i just think so but every freshman congressman should have to be punched in the face before they start their freshman year because you think about it otherwise you wouldn't think right about sending our men and women to war or maybe all the ones who are in there already since they didn't get punched when they first came in, maybe we could still introduce. We could start. Yeah. Yes. 2024, start or that'll be 25, right? When that new session, everybody yeah, gets exactly. sworn in. That could be we'll start off with the president, whoever the new president is. He gets punched in the face and we move on. But A new initiation no, program. We joke about it, but, but true. we've it's taken true, men yeah. and taught them to, like, it, it, and, and of course, nobody wants peace more than the warrior who actually has fought in a war because we know what it takes. Amen. But at the same right. time, we can't have people who are so fearful over the, the personal repercussions or what's going to happen to their family or any of those types of things that won't stand in the way of evil because they're too afraid of getting involved physically right right like it we see that in our communities right now john that it absolutely makes me so crazy to see all the looting and to see people just filming the looting right and not right. stepping in the war like we've lost the idea of you know um a citizen's arrest because we're too afraid of getting involved in a lawsuit or what it's going to cost us physically or. And the ones who do it, who stepped up like the guy in New York, that Marine who stepped up on the train, all of a sudden they brought charges against him when he stepped up to rescue somebody. So right. now he, they're going to attack him from doing the right thing. 
Um, right. And that's kind of the message that they send. Don't do the right thing. Don't stand up. Don't uh, stop the uh, evil from going down. Walk away. Let it happen. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that what we, we've done is we put evil on a pedestal. You know, the evil perpetrator. And and that's why would we ever do that? You know, why, at the exactly. same why? and the risk of a of a child, because that's really right. what we're risking. Right. 100%. We're giving we're giving the pedophile the reason to, you know, protect his free speech at the risk of our children. You know, absolutely, and, and it, it really is what it is. And I know we're we're getting on a little bit of a, a rabbit hole here, but it's it it is it's a good rabbit hole because it's this this entrance way into the end times where they'll call evil good and good evil, and that's what the Bible says. It'll it even says in the Bible, and and this is the one that's preached very often, and you might get a little bit of you know, questions or eyebrow raised on this one, but it says in Timothy, it says in the last days, they'll refuse to eat meat and refuse to marry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Wow. Um, We've got that, entire vegan restaurants, not saying that that's anything bad with your health. And it's, it's not even that scripture, not even saying it's bad not to eat meat. It's just saying that these are the things that are going to happen in the last days. And it's, and and there is a reality of both of those going on. Isn't that true, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, however, you, you choose to interpret it. But you, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty deep, man. You know, pretty yeah. deep. Let me pivot to, because I want to make sure we get to the, the thing that's coming up for you guys, which is uh, this uh, Super Bowl operation of 2024. And you've done it uh, many years. And this year, it's going to be out at the Super Bowl in Vegas. Um so tell us about what this is. We're going to talk about how people can support it. But tell yep. us, you know, give them a little back backstory, you know, because most people think of the Super Bowl, a great time to watch football. And, yep. and, you know, that's about all people's um, knowledge of what else goes on at the Super Bowls. Um, but take us through that journey. Yeah, it's the number one trafficking event for the United States. So the, the, obviously, you know, the law of supply and demand there's going to be a, a large group of, of men that are celebrating on that day. And, you know, you, you see 90% of the, you know, advertisements are sexually driven. Um, there's a testosterone built, you know, crescendo to all of this. And so then enter in, you know, the supply of young girls that are being sold to, um, to, quench whatever these guys think that they're going to want to do. So the Super Bowl has always been this big trafficking event. Um, what we've done is we usually do not go to the host city. So we're not going to Las Vegas. Um, there is probably going to be flooded with a bunch of different groups. I know that there are different groups that we've worked with in the past. We would normally go to Vegas if the, the Super Bowl was not there. Um, this year we're going to be working in a different um, large city that is connected to that. Um, so we won't be in Vegas, but with us, what we do is we try to utilize that time frame to impact and do the most good that we can with a large team. So we usually have around um, 30 operators that come in um, to an event. And what we do is we work with the local law enforcement and federal law enforcement 
in locating and finding these uh, young girls and boys that are being sold during the event timeframe um, before and after. And so what we do is we provide all the intelligence, the location. We let um, law enforcement know if law enforcement cannot do the recovery for many different reasons. I won't go into all the caveats of that. Then we will do the recovery ourselves, um, specifically if there are parents that have um, asked us to look for their missing child that's being sold or prostituted, then we can go in and recover that child and help with the, the reunification or getting them to a safe location. It is very resource intensive, but in comparison, when law enforcement does a, a Super Bowl type operation, they may do it for one or two days. And it's within, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, because they'll deploy a team of maybe 10 um, and they'll go into a city and you got to think of what it costs them as far as overtime and all of their resources and the things that we do with us, we're a hundred percent volunteers. And so we usually run on a budget between 30 to $40,000 and we operate for 10 days. So we're, we're fielding 30 operators for 10 days on 30 to $40,000, depending on what the end all budget is. And we're still working out some of the kinks with that, but, um, we do, you know, this is a great opportunity for somebody to be involved in making an impact because our operators are, you know, our day in, day out. Um, we don't work shifts. They're working 24 hours a day for the entire time that's happening. And when that entire thing's happening, they're praying for each other. They're ministering to each other. They are worshiping. We have an entire support team that's not paid that comes in and cooks and cleans and refuels the cars um and it's a it's a an amazing opportunity to serve god during that time well i've seen it in a short little period with your training you know for the four days and, and i can attest to the fact that it was a 24-hour operation you know it, it just you move when you had to move everybody was there to do whatever it took and like you said none of the operators they're donating their time they're leaving their lives they're coming to do whatever it takes and not paid um, they're committing everything they got to make this, uh, you know, that these people get rescued, these children get rescued. So it's it's unique. It's unlike anything I've ever seen uh, out there. And, but people can support it. And I know, you know, um, that, like you said, it's thirty to forty thousand dollars to maintain this 10 uh, day operation. I, I'm going to say one thing because I know Pastor Rudy really well. One thing about Pastor Rudy, he hates to ask for money. So I'm going to ask for the money for him <laughs> um, and just say, you got to donate. I mean, that that's not only what you should do, because obviously the Slave Free Project is other things you should do. Volunteer time, help at the ranch, work with paint for princesses, do all the different things that Slave Free Project is doing. Do all those things. But you can also donate too, and you can donate money and you can support them. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm going to tell you, please donate some money, support them because uh, you, your donation is going to really make a difference. Uh, his daughter put up this really wild stuff that she does because she's part of the younger generation. And I love it. Um, this is, you know, just each operator needs a thousand dollars to get financed. And this is each one of them has a code name. This one is a shepherd. And so it's, you know, it's to get people to understand how you can support each operator and each operator goes out and takes it out to get the support as well. So 
that's one thing. Uh, go go ahead and say some more. I'm going to throw up some banners yeah. on where people can can donate this money. You know, um, one of the cool things about that is when we have our operators self, um, they know that there's somebody that's supporting them and standing behind them, and that means a lot. You know that that is super important. That you know somebody when they they this entire time building up and praying for this operation. When they have a donation that comes in for a specific operator, they're like, yeah, somebody's standing behind me. Like they're not only that, but they're praying because I know it's easier to know that somebody's praying for you when they also put their money behind it. <laughs> you know, so often in Christianese is, oh, I'm praying for you. But do you actually pray? You know, when you write <laughs> that cap or you send the money, they're actually, you know, there's more. They have an investment. So it's important. And, and, and I'm just going to, once again, I'm going to go a little bit and, and just push again a little harder, too, because, you know, we're all uh, been conditioned uh, negatively because of the social media culture, like you said. So everybody, when you ask somebody to volunteer or somebody to take an action, they like it on Facebook and they think yep. because they like something, they did something. Oh, yeah. No, you didn't do anything. As a yeah. matter of fact, you probably did a little less than if you even didn't like it. Right. Right. So. That's not what's required is Facebook likes. That's the last thing you need in life for, uh, for, for something like this. Don't like it. Just do something. Do something. Yep. Take some action. Get on your knees and pray. Write a check. Send some money. Zelle money. PayPal money. Venmo money. Um, pray. Pray for them, but really pray for them. And, and, and take action. And forget the liking on Facebook and the liking on Instagram and all that stuff. That ain't going to do anything. It's a waste of your time. And, and the universe is time. Don't do it. Yep. You know, do, do, do something that's going to make a difference and that you can be proud of that you stepped up in whatever way you can. And it don't have to be a lot. Whatever you got, a little bit, just do it. Um, do something so you know that you did something. And that's what life is about, taking action. Because these people are taking 10 days of their lives to take action. So to take 10 minutes of your time, it's nothing. So do it. I mean, it ain't going to hurt you. If anything, you're going to feel better and you're going to have accomplished more. So I'm going to, you know, just I put up the information to do it. I'll put it up again at the end where you can do it. Anything else, um, Rudy, you would like to say, um, you know, to wrap up or anything that yeah. I haven't covered? And, and let, trust me, uh, anybody watching this, I covered this much of this so much. I could go down the road with Rudy for hours, hours. But, uh, you know, fortunately, we're going to try and squeeze it into this hour so. Um, let me know if there's anything as you want to uh, finish up and then I'd love to have you pray us out of the yeah. thing as I put up where people can donate there uh, to, to this operation. Yeah, I want to end with this. I want, I want whoever is watching this to know that they're loved and that there's a God in heaven that sent his son to die for them and that they can go away from this knowing that they're to die for. And the coolest thing about this is we, we as humans have this human nature to want to give and want to do something. And we can all, you know, have our heartstrings pulled, but you can't lead somebody to somewhere you haven't been. And if you aren't loved yourself, if you don't know that you're loved and you haven't accepted that love that the Lord has for you, then just take this moment right now. You know, nobody's going to know. It's not like you're filled an auditorium full of people. Just have that personal moment with God. Because maybe something you heard today kind of changed your mind or got you thinking. And, and if you've been away from God, just take this moment. As we pray and we end this out, just know that God loves you. He's there with an open hand. He wants you to have a life that is 
greater than what it is right now. And he wants to, to bring you to a place of having some peace in your heart. The war is out there. When you have that peace in your heart, you'll be ready to fight that war. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for John. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for all the things that we got to talk about today. Lord, I ask whoever is watching this, that they would be blessed, that they would feel loved, that they would have the Holy Spirit upon them right now to change them from all the things that they've been going through, the struggles, the strife, the generational curses. Father, I bind those right now in the name of Jesus. And I ask that they would be set forward in this new year. Lord, with seeing your light and your face shine upon them and that you would give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, brother. Thank you, Rudy, for, for uh, sharing everything. This is a, 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 where people can go. PayPal me, Zell, Venmo, um, theslavefreeproject.com. Uh, take some action. Do something. Uh, whether you do it with the Slave Free Project or some other way, take action, make a difference, change the world and be that light for others. And, and Rudy, um, just once again, man, honored and blessed brother to know you and uh, glad. And I, and I look forward to supporting you in whatever way I can in the future as well. So thank you, brother. God bless thank you. you so much, John. Thank you. You have a great one. Take care. You too. Um, I hope everybody was inspired by Pastor Rudy and his mission and his powerful commitment to uh, freeing the enslaved from trafficking. So get in the fight, uh, volunteer your time, uh, go to slavefreeproject.com, find a way that you can help on whatever level that you can help, and then also find a way to donate and support this action that's going on on Super Bowl uh, 2024. So, and if you haven't seen my previous show, YouTube channel, you can watch the show with Madeline Gonzalez as well. And, and that show, I think, will be just uh, life-changing for you. So please watch that. Watch this show. Thank you, everybody. God bless you, and have a great day.